0: Chapter Fifty Five of The Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Fifty Five. Glebe Land. The fifteenth of July was a Sunday, and it had been settled for some time past that on this day, Mister Puddleham would preach for the first time in his new chapel the building had been hurried on through the early summer in order that this might be achieved and although the fittings were not completed and the outward signs of the masons and labourers had not been removed although the heaps of mortar were still there and time had not yet sufficed to have the chips cleared away on sunday the fifteenth of july the chapel was opened great efforts were made to have it filled on the occasion the builder from salisbury came over with all his family not deterred by the consideration that whereas the puddlemites of bullhampton were primitive methodists he was a regular wesleyan and many in the parish will got to visit the chapel on this day of its glory who had less business there than even the builder from salisbury in most parishes there are some who think it well to let the parson know that they are independent and do not care for him though they profess to be of his flock and then too the novelty of the thing had its attraction and the well-known fact that the site chosen for the building had been as gall and wormwood to the parson and his family these causes together brought a crowd to the vicarage gate on that sunday morning and it was quite clear that the new chapel would be full, and that Mr. Puddleham's first Sunday would be a success. And the chapel, of course, had a bell, a bell which was declared by Mrs. Fenwick to be the hoarsest, loudest, most unmusical, and ill-founded miscreant of a bell that was ever suspended over a building for the torture of delicate ears. It certainly was a loud and brazen bell, but Mr. Fenwick expressed his opinion that there was nothing amiss with it when his wife declared that it sounded as though it came from the midst of the shrubs at their own front gate he reminded her that their own church bells sounded as though they came from the lower guard that one sound should be held by them to be musical and the other abominable he declared to be a prejudice then there was a great argument about the bells in which mrs fenwick and mary lowther and harry gilmore were all against the vicar and throughout the discussion It was known to them all that there were no ears in the parish to which the bells were so really odious as they were to the ears of the vicar himself in his heart of hearts he hated the chapel and in spite of all his endeavours to the contrary his feelings toward mr puddleham were not those which the christian religion requires one neighbour to bear to another but he made the struggle and for some weeks past had not said a word against mr puddleham in regard to the marquis the thing was different the marquis should have known better and against the marquis he did say a great many words they began to ring the bell on that sunday morning before ten o'clock mrs fenwick was still sitting at the breakfast-table with the windows open when the sound was first heard first heard that is on that morning she looked at mary groaned and put her hands to her ears the vicar laughed and walked about the room at what time do they begin said mary not till eleven said mrs fenwick there it wants a quarter to ten now and they mean to go on with that music for an hour and a quarter we shall be keeping them company by and by said the vicar the poor old church bells won't be heard through it said mrs fenwick mrs fenwick was in the habit of going to the village school for half an hour before the service on sunday mornings and on this morning she started from the house according to her custom at a little after ten Mary Lowther went with her, and as the school was in the village, and could be reached much more shortly by the front gate than by the path round by the church, the two ladies walked out boldly before the new chapel. The reader may perhaps remember that Mrs. Fenwick had promised her husband to withdraw that outward animosity to the chapel, which she had evinced by not using the vicarage entrance. As they went there was a crowd collected, and they found that after the manner of the primitive methodists in their more enthusiastic days a procession of worshippers had been formed in the village which at this very moment was making its way to the chapel mrs fenwick as she stood aside to make way for them declared that the bell sounded as though it were within her bonnet when they reached the school they found that many a child was absent who should have been there and mrs fenwick knew that the truant urchins were amusing themselves at the new building and with those who were not truant the clang of the new bell distracted terribly that attention which was due to the collect mrs fenwick herself confessed afterwards that she hardly knew what she was teaching mr fenwick according to his habit went into his own study when the ladies went to the school and there according to custom also on sunday mornings his letters were brought to him some few minutes before he started on his walk through the garden to the church on this morning there were a couple of letters for himself and he opened them both one was from a tradesman in salisbury and the other was from his wife's brother-in-law mr quickenham before he started he read mr quickenham's letter and then did his best to forget it and put it out of his mind till the morning service should be over the letter was as follows pump court june 1868. dear fenwick i have found as i thought i should that lord trowbridge has no property in or right whatever to the bit of ground on which your enemies have been building their new ebenezer the spot is a part of the glebe and as such seems to have been first abandoned by a certain parson named brandon who was your predecessor's predecessor there can however be no doubt that the ground is glebe and that you are bound to protect it as such on behalf of your successors and of the patrons of the living i found some difficulty in getting at the terrier of the parish which you who consider yourself to be a model parson i dare say have never seen i have however found it in duplicate the clerk of the board of guardians who should i believe have a copy of it knew nothing about it and had never heard of such a document your bishop's registrar was not much more learned but i did find it in the bishop's chancery and there is a copy of it also at st john's which seems to imply that a great attention has been paid by the college as patron to the interests of the parish priest this is more than has been done by the incumbent who seems to be an ignorant fellow in such matters i wonder how many parsons there are in the church who would let a marquis and a methodist minister between them build a chapel on the parish glebe yours ever richard quickenham if i were to charge you through an attorney for my trouble you'd have to mortgage your life interest in the bit of land to pay me i enclose a draft from the terrier as far as the plot of ground and the vicarage gate are concerned here was information this detestable combination of dissenting and tyrannically territorial influences had been used to build a methodist chapel upon land of which he during his incumbency in the parish was the freehold possessor what an ass he must have been not to know his own possessions how ridiculous would he appear when he should come forward to claim as part of the glebe a morsel of land to which he had paid no special attention whatever since he had been in the parish and then what would it be his duty to do mr quickenham had clearly stated that on behalf of the college which was the patron of the living and on behalf of his successors it was his duty to claim the land and was it possible that he should not do so after such usage as he had received from lord trowbridge so meditating but grieving that he should be driven at such a moment to have his mind forcibly filled with such matters still hearing the chapel bell which in his ears drowned the sound from his own modest belfry and altogether doubtful as to what step he would take he entered his own church it was manifest to him that of the poorer part of his usual audience and of the smaller farmers one-half were in attendance upon mr puddleham's triumph during the whole of that afternoon he said not a word of the barrister's letter to any one he struggled to banish the subject from his thoughts failing to do that he did banish it from his tongue the letter was in the pocket of his coat but he showed it to no one gilmore dined at the vicarage but even to him he was silent of course the conversation at dinner turned upon the chapel it was impossible on such a day that they should speak of anything else Even as they sat at their early dinner, Mr. Puddleham's bell was ringing, and no doubt there was a vigour in the pulling of it which would not be maintained when the pulling of it should have become a thing of every week. There had been a compact made, in accordance with which the vicar's wife was to be debarred from saying anything against the chapel, and no doubt, when the compact was made, the understanding was that she should give over hating the chapel. This had, of course, been found to be impossible, but in a certain way she had complied with the compact. THE NOISE OF THE BELL, HOWEVER, WAS CONSIDERED TO BE BEYOND THE COMPACT, AND ON THIS OCCASION SHE WAS ALMOST VIOLENT IN THE EXPRESSION OF HER wrath. HER HUSBAND LISTENED TO HER, AND SAT WITHOUT REBUKING HER, SILENT, WITH THE LAWYER'S LETTER IN HIS POCKET. THIS BELL HAD BEEN PUT UPON HIS OWN LAND, AND HE COULD PULL IT DOWN TOMORROW. IT HAD BEEN PUT UP BY THE EXPRESS AGENCY OF LORD TROWBRIDGE, AND WITH THE DIRECT VIEW OF ANNOYING HIM, AND LORD TROWBRIDGE HAD BEHAVED TO HIM IN A MANNER WHICH SET ALL CHRISTIAN CHARITY AT DEFIANCE. He told himself plainly that he had no desire to forgive Lord Trowbridge, that life in this world, as it is constituted, would not be compatible with such forgiveness, that he would not, indeed, desire to injure Lord Trowbridge otherwise than by exacting such penalty as would force him and such as he to restrain their tyranny, but that to forgive him, till he should have been so forced, would be weak and injurious to the community. As to that, he had quite made up his mind, in spite of all doctrine, to the contrary men in this world would have to go naked if they gave their coats to the robbers who took their cloaks and going naked is manifestly inexpedient his office of parish priest would be lowered in the world if he forgave out of hand such offences as these which had been committed against him by lord Trowbridge. this he understood clearly and now he might put down not only the bell but with the bell the ill-conditioned peer who had caused it to be put up on glebe land all this went through his mind again and again as he determined that on that day being sunday he would think no more about it when the monday came it was necessary that he should show the letter to his wife to his wife and to the squire and to mary lowther he had no idea of keeping the matter secret from his near friends and advisers but he had an idea that it would be well that he should make up his mind as to what he would do before he asked their advice he started therefore for a turn through the parish before breakfast on monday morning and resolved as to his course of action on no consideration whatever would he have the chapel pulled down. It was necessary for his purpose that he should have his triumph over the Marquis, and he would have it. But the chapel had been built for a good purpose, which it would adequately serve, and let what might be said to him by his wife or others, he would not have a brick of it disturbed. No doubt he had no more power to give the land for its present or any other purpose than had the Marquis. It might very probably be his duty to take care that the land was not appropriated to the wrong purposes. It might be that he had already neglected his duty, in not knowing, or in not having taken care to learn, the precise limits of the glebe which had been given over to him for his use during his incumbency. Nevertheless, there was the chapel, and there it should stand, as far as he was concerned. If the churchwardens, or the archdeacon, or the college, or the bishop, had power to interfere, as to which he was altogether ignorant, and chose to exercise that power, he could not help it. He was nearly sure that his own churchwardens would be guided altogether by himself and as far as he was concerned the chapel should remain unmolested having thus resolved he came back to breakfast and read mr quickenham's letter aloud to his wife and mary lowther glebe said the vicar's wife do you mean that it is part of your own land asked mary exactly that said the vicar and that old thief of a marquis has given away what belongs to us said mrs fenwick he has given away what did not belong to himself said the vicar but i can't admit that he's a thief surely he ought to have known said mary as for that so ought i to have known i suppose the whole thing is one of the most ridiculous mistakes that ever was made it has absolutely come to pass that here in the middle of wiltshire with all our maps and surveys and parish records no one concerned has known to whom belonged a quarter of an acre of land in the centre of the village it is just a thing to write an article about in a newspaper "'but I can't say that one party is more to blame than the other, "'that is, in regard to the ignorance displayed. "'And what will you do, Frank?' "'Nothing.' "'You will do nothing, Frank. "'I will do nothing, but I will take care to let the Marquis know the nature of his generosity. "'I fancy that I am bound to take on myself that labour, "'and I must say that it won't trouble me much to have to write the letter. "'You won't pull it down, Frank?' "'No, my dear. "'I would before a week was over.' so would i said mary i don't think it ought to be there of course it ought not to be there said mrs fenwick they might just as well have it here in the garden said mary just the same said mrs fenwick it is not in the garden and as it has been built it shall remain as far as i am concerned i shall rather like it now that i know i am the landlord i think i shall claim a sitting this was the vicar's decision on the monday morning and from that decision the two ladies were quite unable to move him this occurred a day or two after the affair of the rubies and at a time when mary was being very hard pressed to name a day for her wedding of course such pressure had been the result of mr gilmore's success on that occasion she had then resolutely gone to work to overcome her own and his melancholy gloom and having in a great degree succeeded it was only natural that he should bring up that question of his marriage day she when she had accepted him had done so with a stipulation that she should not be hurried but we all know what such stipulations are worth. Who is to define what is and what is not hurry? They had now been engaged a month, and the squire was clearly of opinion that there had been no hurry. September was the nicest month in the year, he said, for getting married and going abroad. September in Switzerland, October among the Italian lakes, November in Florence and Rome, so that they might get home before Christmas after a short visit to Naples that was the squire's programme and his whole manner was altered as he made it he thought he knew the nature of the girl well enough to be sure that though she would profess no passionate love for him before starting on such a journey she would change her tone before she returned it should be no fault of his if she did not change it mary had at first declined to fix any day had talked of next year had declared that she would not be hurried she had carried on the fight even after the affair of the rubies but she had fought in opposition to strong and well-disciplined forces on the other side and she had begun to admit to herself that it might be expedient that she should yield the thing was to be done and why not have it done at once she had not as yet yielded but she had begun to think that she would yield at such a period it was of course natural that the squire should be daily at the vicarage and on this monday morning he came down while the minds of all his friends there were intent on the strange information received from mr quickenham the vicar was not by when mr gilmore was told and he was thus easily induced to join in the opinion that the chapel should be made to disappear he had a landlord's idea about land and was thoroughly well disposed to stop any encroachment on the part of the marquis lord trowbridge must pull it down himself and put it up again elsewhere said the squire but frank says that he won't let the marquis pull it down said mrs fenwick almost moved to tears by the tragedy of the occasion then the vicar joined them and the matter was earnestly debated so earnestly that on that occasion not a word was said as to the day of the wedding end of chapter fifty five